choir. Today we continue our series from uh, the fundamentals we hold as Christians. What are those basic beliefs that we hold as followers of Christ? We began with a focus on the Bible. The reason for that is because it is the essence of what we believe or what we believe comes out of the Bible. So we began there. And then we talked about God, the Trinity. We looked at Satan, the nature of man. We talked about salvation, how we are saved, and then the security of the believer. Today our focus is going to be on the church. The word church is used in the New Testament 114 times. 99 of those times it refers to a local congregation. Now say that because when the Bible speaks of the church, it is generally not speaking of the church universal. It is not speaking of the church in terms of the general church. It is talking about a local body of believers. So most of the time, 99 of the 114 times, it speaks of a local congregation. It is referred to in various ways. For instance, uh, it is called a building, and Jesus is the cornerstone, and we make up the building materials. It is referred to as a bride, that Jesus is the bridegroom, and we are the bride. It is referred to as a family, that God is the Father and we are the children. It is referred to as a body, that Jesus is the head and we make up the members of the body. Now, we're going to look at the church today, the doctrine of the church. So take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, beginning in verse number 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district, of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, saying, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. All right, as we look at our text today, focusing our attention on the church, I believe our text gives us the essence of the church or an understanding of the church before it was founded on Pentecost. Now look at verse number 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, I believe that is significant to our understanding, that the location is important to us understanding the church, and the message that Jesus is giving here. Caesarea Philippi is about 120 miles from Jerusalem. It is at the foot of Mount Hermon. It's a lovely place. There are trees, a lot of trees there. There's a little river there and so forth. So it is a very lovely setting. Davis Dictionary of the Bible says, The town has dwindled to a small village called Banias, 
an alteration of its early name, Panias. All right, now I want you to understand that Jesus brought his disciples to this place. I think it was intentional because of the message that he is going to give. He brings them to this place because it is the seat of paganism. Now, here at Caesarea Philippi, there were 14 temples to Baal. There was one in honor of Caesar Augustus, and there is a cave in the side of the mountain there that is said to be the birthplace of Pan, the god of nature, thus the earlier name, Panius. It was here that Jesus brought them and asked them this question in verse 13. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Do you see what Jesus is doing? He brings his followers to the seat of paganism, to a place of great idolatry, and he asks them the question, who do people say that I am? I think that's significant. I believe that it was intentional. That Jesus wanted to have this discussion in this place because it was the seat of idolatry, of paganism, and Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? Now they were complimentary, of course, in verse number 14. They said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And so they, when Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? They said, well, they, they all think that you're special. There are those who think that maybe you are the reincarnation of John the Baptist. Well, why would they think that? Well, that's easy. Because John the Baptist was bold. And Jesus was bold. The Bible says in Matthew 3, 7, but when he, speaking of John Baptist, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? John the Baptist was extremely bold. These people are, are following now, and he says, You bunch of snakes. Who told you to flee? I mean, he took no prisoners. He was bold. And so that's the reason, I think, that some thought that Jesus might be John the Baptist because of the boldness. And then there were others who said, well, you know, I, I think maybe that it is Elijah. Elijah was a man of prayer. When Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal to a contest on Mount Carmel, and he prayed asking the Lord to send down fire from heaven, and God sent down fire and consumed the offering, he was a man of prayer. Jesus prayed. The Bible says that many times that he would rise early in the morning or he would withdraw to get away from people where he would pray. So I understand why they would think maybe this is Elijah. There were others who said, well, it, maybe he's Jeremiah. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He was a man of compassion. And Jesus wept when his friend Lazarus died. So he also was a man of compassion. So Jesus here in this setting asked the question, who do people say that I am? Well, there are those who think maybe you're the reincarnation of, of Elijah or John Baptist or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But then look at verse number 15. Jesus asked a personal question. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Ladies and gentlemen, the question concerning Jesus always becomes personal. It is not about your mother, it's not about your dad, it's not about your friend, it is about you. 
Jesus always takes the question to a personal level at some time. Who do people say that I am? Well, there are those who think that you're John Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Who do you think? Who do you think I am? See, it is always personal when it comes to Jesus. Who do you think he is? After Jesus asks the question in this setting, then he establishes the foundation of the church. Verse 16. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. Now, this is an historic area of controversy. It always has been. What did Jesus mean? What is the foundation of the church? What is he saying here? Well, the Catholic Church believes that Jesus said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. That Peter is the foundation of the church, that he was the first pope, and the successors to him were from him. They, were from, they, they followed him in the line of popeship. So the Catholics then believe that when Jesus said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, that Peter then is the foundation of the church. Non-Catholics believe that when Jesus made the statement that he was referring to the confession of faith that Peter had made. For instance, when Jesus said, Thou art Peter, Peter, the Greek word that is used there is Petros, and it means a stone, it means a rock, it means a pebble. Thou art Peter, a stone, a rock, a pebble. And upon this rock, different word, Petra, Petros for Peter, Petra here, that means bedrock. It means a large rock. So what we believe then is that Jesus was saying, Peter, you are a stone, you are a small rock, you are a pebble, and upon this bedrock I will build my church. What was the bedrock? The confession of his deity. What had Peter said? Thou art the Christ. I believe that is the foundation to which Jesus refers and Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 3:11 for no man can lay a foundation other than the, the other than the one which is laid which is Jesus Christ so when Jesus said thou art Peter a stone and upon this rock bedrock the confession of his deity Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said on this, I will build my church. So when we look at the church that is established in the Bible, I think it's important to understand the foundation of the church, and the foundation is Jesus. He is the rock on which the church is built. What about the structure? Now, if he is the foundation, then what structure did he put in there? What, what structure did Jesus build concerning his church? Well, he put leaders within the church in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. 
And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now, those are the officers of the church. He mentions, first of all, the apostles. There were apostles in the church. Vine says that literally means one sent forth. The apostles are those who are sent forth. So that would be missionaries. We, we would think of the missionaries in that term, that we send out missionaries to share the gospel of Christ. So there are the apostles, those who are sent forth, the missionaries. Then he mentions prophets. In the early church, they did not have the Bible as we do today. So there were prophets or men then who directly received the word of God. In fact, uh, Vine said the prophet was one who had immediate intercourse with God. Barclay said their message was held to be not the result of thought and study, but through direct revelation of the Holy Spirit. So when we're talking about prophets then, in this context, they were those men who received the message directly from God. Now, because we have the Bible, I do not believe that that office exists in that sense today because we have the Bible. So he says there are apostles, there are prophets, there are evangelists. Vine says literally that means a messenger of good. There are pastor teachers. Pastor teacher has a job of equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. That's what I am. Pastor teacher, someone who has the responsibility to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And then I believe that deacons also are officers in the church. So when we look then, Jesus is the foundation of the church. We see the structure that he, he built, the apostles, the leadership, the apostles, the prophets, the pastor, the deacons, and so forth. So that is the structure, the leadership structure that he built. Now, I want you to consider the members of that early church. I think a lot of times whenever we think about the early church, we think of them in in, uh, in rather mystical terms. What about the members of the church? I would say two things about the members in the early church. First of all, they were ordinary. Just regular people. They were fishermen. One of them was a tax collector. They were from the hill country. They were just ordinary people. Folks, I believe that is important. Because you and I, as much as we deny, are just ordinary people. Only our mother thinks there's something special about us. When I look at the early church, they were just ordinary people and they were imperfect. You can go through the list of people who are listed in the, uh, in the New Testament, the church. Simon the Zealot, for instance. Simon the Zealot, we would probably today think of him as being a redneck. You know, I mean... And I, I identify, I've said oftentimes that's what I am. But Simon the Zealot was a redneck. He would, he would belong to the Tea Party. He was someone didn't compromise much. I mean, boy, he had his values and he had his beliefs and he was not going to, to compromise with those. So there's Simon the Zealot, Simon Peter. Very unpredictable. You never knew what he was going to say. You never knew where he was going to come down. James and John, they had an ego problem. You know the story about them wanting to sit on the right hand of Jesus when he came into his kingdom. Thomas was a doubter. The point that I'm making is this. In that early church of those people, we often think of them in mystical terms. They were ordinary people. 
There was nothing special about them. They were imperfect. They had flaws just like you do, just like I do. But here's the thing about them. They love Jesus. Every one of them, I am convinced, love Jesus. Ordinary people, imperfect people, but they love Jesus. So when I look at the origin of the church, Jesus takes the disciples to Caesarea Philippi, the seat of paganism, asking the question, who do people say that I am? They told him, but who do you say that I am? He laid the foundation, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, What is the leadership that he placed in that church? The apostles, the prophets, the pastor, teacher, the evangelists, and so forth. What about the members of that church? They were just ordinary people who were imperfect. Now, let's think for a minute about the government of the church. And church government varies from denomination to denomination. For instance, the Catholic church, you have the, the pope and the cardinals and the bishops, and they comprise the governing authority of the church. In the Presbyterian Church, you have the Presbytery. In the Methodist Church, you have the Bishop. Baptists are a mess. Some of you, some of you probably, you're Baptist and you don't even know this. But every Baptist church is autonomous and independent. Every Baptist church is autonomous and independent. We decide what we're going to do. See, that's the reason our fights last longer than the Methodists. Because we don't have a bishop to come in and say, all right, kids, knock it off. We're just going to fight until somebody wins or somebody loses. Because we're independent. Now, here's the thing. We are not willing to sacrifice our freedom or our independence for order. So we fight a lot because in our structure there is no one who can come in to tell us what to do. So in, the, in a Baptist church, every church calls their own pastor. They think this is, the, this is God's person for us and they call. There's, there's no bishop who sends somebody. Uh, we decide how we relate to the convention, how much money we give to missions and so forth. The con- we relate to the Southern Baptist Convention. We relate to the state convention. We relate to the association but they actually have no authority to tell you what to do. So we decide what we're going to do. That is the way that this church and all Baptist churches are structured. But I believe that the church in the Scripture is a theocratic democracy. I believe that there is a sense of democracy within the church in that we all have access to God because we all are, if we're saved, we all are priests. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. That means then that if you are a believer, then you are a priest and thus you have access to God. So you don't have to come to me to go to God on your behalf. You go to God because you are a priest. That is, every believer is a priest who has access to God because you are a priest, then you have freedom of expression in your worship. And I love that. I, I sit up here on Sunday mornings and, and sing, and I, and I love the music, that part of the service. To be honest with you, most of the time I like it better than the preaching, I think. that, But, but at any rate. 
But I, I enjoy it. Now, here's the thing that blesses me. I look out during the music portion, and I see some of you holding your hands up. And that is a blessing to me, though I don't do it. And the reason I don't do it is just because that's not who I am. It's just, it's just not me. But I thank God for you. See? We don't have to do it the same way. And that's the thing that blesses me about our church. I said years ago, I hope we come to the place that those who do not lift their hands don't look at those who do and think they're fanatics. And those who lift their hands don't look at those who do not and think they're dead. We're just different. And that's a part of the priesthood of the believer. We are different. Therefore, we have the right to express our worship differently. So it is a democracy in that sense, but it is basically a theocracy in verse 18. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build what? My church. It's Jesus' church. He says, upon this rock I will build my church. It is His. Jimmy Draper wrote, There are those who would have us believe that the church is an absolute democracy. Well, it is not. Just because the majority votes in a particular way does not mean that the decision is right. You remember the twelve spies sent in to spy out the land? Ten of them, the majority vote, ten of them came back and said, We can't go in there. They're giants over there. We look like grasshoppers in their sight. And the Bible says the people mourned that night. Now, that was the majority vote, but it was wrong. It was wrong because that was not what God was leading them to do, and that is always the ultimate question. What is God leading us to do? So, the government of the church is a theocratic democracy. There is a sense in which it is a democracy in that we are priests, we have access to God, we express our worship to God, but it is His church. Therefore, it is a theocracy. What about the future of the church? Well, it's progressive. Verse number 18, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Jesus said, I will build my church. Now, the word build conveys the idea that it isn't complete, that it is in process. So when Jesus established the churches, he speaks to them. He says, I will build. It is in process. It's not complete. That's what Luke said in, in Acts chapter 1, verse number 1. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Jesus began but did you know the church is not going to be complete until he comes for it? The church is in process right now. This church, it's been here for over 200 years, established in 1809. But it isn't complete. I don't know about you. I, I think I do. This church is, you know, you, you think of a church, the age of our church, that, you know, it has hardening of the arteries and everything, so, you know, it just not going to do anything, it's old, and, and um, we need to start finding tennis balls to put on the bottom of its walker. It's just old and not going to do anything. That's not this church. I am so excited that just 
at this time over 200 years old. And we begin to see the explosion downtown. All the things that are happening downtown. To me that is so exciting because this church is not complete. It is not going to be complete. Jesus is in the process of building this church, of molding this church, of making this church. And there are such bright days before us. It is progressive, it's in process, and it is aggressive. In verse number 18, he continues, And the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. Barnes says the meaning of the passage is that all the plots and machinations of the enemies of the church would not be able to overcome it. We are to aggressively confront the world with the gospel of Christ, and Satan can't stand against it. That's what Jesus said. The church is the victor. Therefore, we are to be aggressive evangelistically. Now, not obnoxious, but we are to be aggressive. There are people you know you need to share the gospel with them, everything that you can. This church needs to be aggressive evangelistically. That's the reason for our television ministry that covers the entire state. Goes into Georgia and North Carolina. And then in the social media, it covers the entire world. And we stream it live every Sunday morning at 1030. So the Lord, we are using all these things. And every week, it seems like every week, Sylvia tells me about people who have been saved. Church, We're planting churches. We planted five new churches. Village Church, where Eric is the pastor, they just started a satellite location last week. And so we have a Hispanic church, a Burmese church, and, and now then we've partnered with Chris Causey and started a church up in Boston. Uh, it, uh, is that exciting or is that just me? I mean, it is exciting to me to see what God is doing. But we are to be, we are to be aggressive in sharing our faith. But let me say this just sort of a side note because I'm going to come back to it as a doctrine. We also need to be aggressive in our giving. We're not going to be able to do everything that needs to be done unless we become aggressive in our giving just as the Bible says. And that is a doctrine. We'll get to that doctrine, not today, but we will later. Very briefly, because I see I'm almost out of time, message of the church, it's good news. I was in a restaurant the other night. There's a guy came up to me, walked up behind me, came, he said, he said, don't you do the news on television? And I said, yeah, I do the good news. He, he turned to his wife and he said, I told you that was him. He does the good news. <laughs> I don't know what he thought, but, but it is good news. The gospel that we proclaim is good news. It's good news to the family. It's good news to parents. It's good news about the future. I am grateful for our history. I'm grateful for where we've been. I'm grateful for God, what God has done. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm excited about the future. Ben Nathan wrote, and this is a wonderful quote, Do not judge the future by the past. In the past may be wisdom, but in the future is life and the miracles of living which know no end. The past has experiences, but the future has surprises. The past produces memory, but the future produces expectation and hope. The past is closed, but the future is open. Thank God for the future, because our best days are ahead of us. It's good news to the lost, because without Christ we are dead in our trespasses and sins. With Him we are spiritually alive. Let me conclude. Jesus established the church. He is the foundation, and the church is to lift up Jesus to a world that is lost. 
G. Campbell Morgan was preaching. He gave the invitation. There was a man who had a record as a criminal who came forward to trust Jesus as his Savior. In that same service, there was a judge who came forward trusting Jesus as his Savior. The irony is, is that the judge at another time had sentenced the criminal to prison. And there they are hugging each other as brothers in Christ. To me, that is the church. No matter who you are, no matter where you came from, we come to Jesus and love him and love each other. My friend, if you are not involved in a church, you ought to be. There's nothing like it. You ought to be involved in a church. And if the Lord is leading you here today, we'd love to have you. Father, I pray you'd bless the time of invitation. Draw people unto yourself. Lord, be with those who are considering their relationship with you, their relationship to the church. I pray that your will will be done in their lives. In Christ's name, amen. In just a moment, we'll stand. The choir will sing. We'll extend an invitation, an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord. For without Christ, come receive him today. If you're looking for a church, this is a good one. We'd love to have you. Stand with me, please. We sing. You come. I'll greet you.